Welcome to the latest edition of our Contentious Regulatory Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Cody, Counsel in Linklater's Financial Regulation Practice in London, focusing on contentious regulatory work. Hi, and I'm Gavin Lewis, a partner in the Linklater's Contentious Regulatory Team based in London. In early December, the FCA published its second consultation paper covering its proposals for a new consumer duty. This paper contained a response to feedback from the first consultation and draft rules and guidance that are needed to actually bring the new duty into effect. In today's podcast, we're going to look at three questions. What has changed between the first and second consultation in terms of how the duty and its underlying rules are expressed? What questions does this new consultation answer? And what steps can you take to prepare for when the rules come into effect? So starting with that first point, Gavin, the first thing I noticed is that the FCA has now decided on an actual formulation of the duty. Yes, that's right. So you remember that there were two options originally on the table. Firstly, a firm must act in the best interest of consumers. And secondly, that a firm must secure good outcomes for consumers. So the FCA has opted for the second of those two options, which is going to become new principle 12, in turn supported by uh, new sections 2A in print, which will cover in detail what firms need to do to comply with the new consumer duty. Now, I think that definitely is the better choice. I think there was always a risk with a duty based on best interests that this would be misinterpreted as imposing a fiduciary duty, even though the FCA was clear that this was not its intention. Interestingly, they still state in the consultation response and set out in the new draft rules that the new duty won't change the nature of a firm's relationship with retail consumers and that it won't create a fiduciary relationship where one wouldn't otherwise exist and that it won't require a firm to provide advice um, where it would not otherwise have to do so. So I think they are alive to, to this risk, but I think picking the outcomes option um, definitely minimises that misinterpretation risk. So if we stick with the actual structure of the duty, have we still got the cross-cutting rules and outcomes underpinning the new Principle 12? We certainly do. So the structure as it's expressed in this second consultation is that the cross-cutting rules sit underneath the principle and they set out the overarching conduct which firms must demonstrate when they act to deliver good outcomes for retail consumers. And then the outcomes rule and guidance, which sit underneath the cross-cutting rules, set out the firm's key obligations in relation to the four areas covered. So the cross-cutting rules now require all firms to act in good faith towards retail consumers, to avoid foreseeable harm to retail consumers, and to enable and support retail consumers to pursue their financial objectives. Now, helpfully, the all reasonable steps obligation has gone, um, so that no longer sits in the cross-cutting rules. It's helpful that the FCA seems to have taken on board the concerns that we and certainly others had, that that imposed a potentially unachievable standard on firms. But I suppose it begs the question, what are a customer's financial objectives? How is a firm selling a product to thousands of retail consumers going to be in a position or supposed to identify what their financial objectives actually are? That's a really good question. And I mean, helpfully, the FCA has addressed that. And it sets out that where firms offer an execution only or a non-advised service, then they are entitled to assume that their customer's objective is the enjoyment and use of the product and service that they've purchased. 
Now, on the other hand, where a firm provides an advised or a discretionary service, then it will need to act on that specific knowledge that it has of individual clients in terms of what their particular specific objectives are. So there we have the cross-cutting rules. Moving on then to the four objectives, they broadly cover the same ground, but there have been some slight changes to the formulation of the outcomes that probably better reflect the FCA objectives here. So the four objectives are now, firstly, products and services, Secondly, price and value. Thirdly, customer understanding. And fourthly and lastly, customer support. So the FCA has chosen customer understanding rather than the nature of the communications to reflect the fact that it wants firms to focus on communicating with clients in a way that they can actually properly receive and understand the information. Now, that's probably arguably more subjective than a focus on the objective communications themselves. Customer support rather than customer service is probably framed to be something that's more relevant to the actual outcomes and not really uh, focused just on the customer service team. I think it's intended to impose obligations across firms throughout the customer journey. I think that's right. And just to bring certainly the comms point to life a little bit, there is a great line in this latest consultation paper about firms that consider that their communications are understandable, but that this reflects the views of those involved in the design and the sign-off process. So that's legal, compliance and other financial services professionals. And I think what they're hinting at is that actually you need to do a lot more contextualised testing um, in terms of how those communications are understood by the people who read them and the people who receive them. And we'll talk a little bit about testing obligations and monitoring later. I think it's also worth pointing out at this point that although it's not part of the structure of the duty, the importance of considering the needs of vulnerable customers runs right through this second consultation response, the draft rules and the draft guidance. There is barely a paragraph that goes by without this being mentioned. Um, and I think the FCA is really clear that there must be flexibility and mechanisms at all points of the customer journey for considering outcomes for vulnerable consumers and consumers with protected characteristics under the Equality Act. And obviously, this needs to be done in accordance with the FCA's existing guidance on the treatment of vulnerable customers. One of the really interesting things about these proposals is that the consumer duty doesn't just apply to firms with a direct relationship with customers. You might remember from the first consultation that it's actually intended to apply all along the distribution chain to any firm that through the conduct of its regulated activities might influence the outcomes enjoyed by retail consumers who are at the end of that distribution chain. So on that basis, it's a, certainly a broader application than principle six and principle seven. So in terms of the influence test, the FCA confirms in this consultation paper that it will take a proportional approach. So the greater the impact a firm can have on consumer outcomes, the greater their obligations under the duty will be. And that means that firms that have that direct relationship are likely to bear the biggest burden here. But all firms in the distribution chain will be obliged to cooperate by sharing relevant information. And that could be manufacturers sharing information about intended target market with distributors or distributors sharing sales information with manufacturers. And all firms along the chain will have obligations to consider whether a product remains good value. Um, and the FCA have said that firms won't share liability here, but I think there will still be some tricky questions to consider for firms in the distribution chain about how their relationships with with other firms work and you know how they're going to apportion liability and, and manage their contracts in the context of, of what they're obliged to do under the duty. 
So a quick recap. We've covered so far what's changed between the first and second consultation in relation to the formulation of the consumer duty. We've covered the cross-cutting rules and we've also covered the four objectives. So let's now turn to look at some of the questions that were left open in the first consultation and how they have, or in some cases, haven't been addressed in this latest paper. So diving in, the first and I think probably most significant question that I think many of you may have had when you read the first consultation paper is whether any of this is actually any different to the existing regime under Principle 6 and Principle 7. And I guess related to that, what's going to happen to Principle 6 and Principle 7 once the new duty comes into force? The FCA does make an attempt to address this in its latest consultation paper, having been clearly asked this question in quite a few of the responses it received, and says that the consumer duty itself is going to impose a higher standard than Principle 6 and Principle 7. The FCA goes on to say it imposes what it calls a higher and more exacting standard of conduct in relation to firms' retail market business. Which is is fine as it stands. And I think the paper talks a lot about firms being more informed about what good outcomes look like for their customers and not standing in the way of customers achieving them. But I don't think that firms are permitted under the current regime to frustrate customers achieving good outcomes. And I think the FCA is, to an extent, still struggling to articulate what it is that the consumer duty delivers from a regulatory power perspective that the TCF regime and that Principle 6 and Principle 7 didn't. The focus of the new duty, I think, uh, is much more on the tailoring of services for consumers who receive them, with a focus on testing the outcome for consumers uh, in a way that reflects how they actually behave and how they transact and operate in the real world so that they can better have access and assess the information they're given and on the basis of that information make decisions for which they themselves are going to be responsible. I think all of this means that the focus is on the subjective receiver and in other words the consumer and how they receive this information. And that's important because this isn't a zero-sum game. Customers remain responsible for their decisions uh, and in some cases may end up suffering bad outcomes from time to time, either because of unforeseeable events or risks that they knowingly took on. In other words, that the value of an investment might go down or that their house might be repossessed if they don't keep up with repayments. That's right. And I, I think the FCA is clear in this latest consultation that firms don't have an obligation to protect consumers from unforeseeable harm and that customers can choose to take risks as long as they do this, having been enabled by clear communications and other things to, to fully understand the risks that they're taking on. But I think you know, firms will have to demonstrate that they have not sort of stood in the way of consumers here. And I think the, the greater the subjectively bad outcome from the individual, the the more work a firm is going to have to do to prove that they were compliant in respect of their obligations under the duty. It's worth bearing in mind that although Principle 6 and Principle 7 are going to be disapplied where the consumer duty itself applies, the guidance on Principle 6 and Principle 7 will remain in place. But bear in mind that the new Principle 12 is intended to be at a higher standard. So if a firm breaches the guidance for Principle 6 or Principle 7 is likely to breach Principle 12. Complying, on the other hand, with the guidance for Principle 6 and Principle 7 shouldn't necessarily be relied upon by itself to give you comfort that you're actually complying with Principle 12. Firms are going to need to consider 
all aspects of the duty, including the rules and the actual outcomes. And in any event, principle six and seven are going to continue to apply to activity that isn't actually covered by principle 12. I think keeping this guidance does somewhat run counter to the FCA's other objective to simplify the handbook that it's expressed on occasion. And I think this layering up of guidance and, and regulations is actually quite unhelpful. I think it, it that regulatory soup that you're going to have to wade through to find out what your obligations are is with the introduction of this, I think is, is not going to get any easier to navigate. So I guess the next question is who is a retail consumer? Um, so who is this actually going to apply to? So you'll recall in the initial consultation, the FCA said that the duty would cover anyone who was not a professional client. Yes, that's right. But it did leave some open questions around elected professionals, trust companies and others. The FCA has now gone on to confirm that for Principle 12, the definition of customers aligns with the scope of the handbook in each sector. So for COBS, it's a customer who's not a professional client. For MCOBS, the consumer duty is going to apply to regulated mortgage contracts within the perimeter, but not, for instance, to buy to let or commercial lending under MCOBS. The consumer duty is not going to apply to retail customers who themselves choose to be treated as professional clients under COBS, but will apply to the processes that firms actually use to determine the status of their clients. Yes. And so what that means is that if a firm encourages a client to seek classification as a professional simply to avoid having to provide consumer protection, then that would be likely to breach the consumer duty. Okay. So third question, what about prod? Yes, so for firms that are conducting MIFID II business or otherwise already complying with PROD, there were some concerns about how the new consumer duty was going to interact with that. The FCA set out in the draft rules that compliance with PROD where this applies can be relied on as tending to establish compliance with the consumer duty. But, and there is always a but, there will be aspects of the consumer duty that prod doesn't cover, so price and value or consumer support, for example, um, and even acting in good faith. So you'll need to take a holistic approach and demonstrate compliance with every aspect of the duty. Going back to our point earlier about what the consumer duty achieves at Principle 6 and Principle 7 don't, there is still an open question, I think, about whether compliance with prod as it stands now will be enough to satisfy the duty or whether what that looks like needs to be reinterpreted in the light of the duty. So does it actually now require a higher standard of conduct once the consumer duties come into effect in order to be satisfied? And finally, and possibly most importantly for a lot of firms and commentators, the FCA has come out and decided against extending the private right of action to cover breaches of the new consumer principle. It's concluded that that's not necessary at this point because sufficient, accessible and cost-effective alternatives for consumers to secure redress already exist within the existing framework. That decision, it says, is going to be kept under review and we expect consumer interest groups to continue to lobby for such a separate private right of action based on a breach of the consumer duty. And finally, just to wrap up this part, we did notice a couple of interesting new proposals that were not in the initial consultation. That's right. So the first is that the FCA will introduce a new rule for all conduct rules staff, obliging them to act to deliver good outcomes for retail consumers where their activities fall within the scope of the new duty. And conduct rules staff will also be obliged 
obliged to deliver the cross-cutting rules. And although the regulator hasn't introduced any new rules for SMFs, it does make the point that senior managers are already responsible for ensuring compliance with regulatory requirements. And the consumer duty, of course, is going to be another regulatory requirement that they're going to be responsible for complying with once it's enacted. So senior managers are going to need to ensure that compliance with the duty is part of the day-to-day practice to the extent it's relevant to their business area. But no single senior manager is going to be responsible for ensuring compliance by the firm as a whole. And the second is that boards will have to consider a report from their firm assessing whether the firm is acting to deliver good outcomes for consumers at least annually. So now in the last part of this podcast, what we wanted to talk about a little more was what can firms actually be doing now to start to prepare for the introduction of the consumer duty. This consultation closes on the 15th of February and new rules are due to come into effect at the end of July next year. It's then proposed that there's going to be an implementation period with all firms having to comply with the consumer duty by the end of April 2023. And that is a tight timetable to say the least. So there is a real advantage, I think, for those of you who start considering now how and where this is likely to affect your business. And actually, that's potentially quite a complicated assessment, particularly, I think, for firms higher up the distribution chain, where you might have to discover what aspects of your business is caught and to what extent, given the application of the influence test is intended to be proportionate. Sarah mentioned earlier contextualised testing in the context of firms making sure that their communications can be understood by underlying consumers. And that's just one of many really quite detailed obligations on firms where they're going to have to conduct testing, ongoing monitoring and consider reporting. Monitoring outcomes for consumers is going to be required by these new regulatory rules. So the importance of all this really pervades the second consultation, even where firms think that they've got the systems in place to ensure compliance with the new rules, it's going to need to be evidence to the FCA's satisfaction once implemented. I think firms can expect to be asked at every stage of the regulatory life cycle to demonstrate how their business model, the actions they've taken and their culture are really focused on good consumer outcomes. So the draft rules include a general monitoring obligation and then specific obligations linked to each of the four outcomes. So this really is quite a substantial undertaking, I think. So I think thinking early about the kinds of governance that you might need to put in place around, say, product design or monitoring price and value on an ongoing basis could really pay dividends. Given the scale of this and the fact that firms are going to have to audit any existing and closed products that will continue to be sold or to run on after the duty comes into force, it's quite surprising that the implementation period is so short. And I imagine that this will feature in a number of responses to this second consultation. So I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. If you are interested in reading more, then on linklatest.com, you can find our consumer duty campaign page, which contains infographics and a range of other podcasts and publications considering aspects of the proposed consumer duty. And remember to share and subscribe to this podcast feed for more insights from us. Thank you for listening and goodbye.